Hello, this is Matt Murrow, the worship pastor here at Glenon Bible Church. You're listening to the Next Level Podcast. Today, we're going to answer listener questions from Sunday, May 14, 2023. Hello, I'm Alex Goff, campus pastor at Poplar Creek, GEBC's campus in Bartlett, Illinois. Hi, I'm Simone Halpin, the executive director of Naomi's House. And I'm Kelly Brady, senior pastor at Glenon Bible Church. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Next Level Podcast. Good morning. Hey, everybody. Good morning, morning. peeps. Happy spring. Yeah, man. It felt like it today. Simone, happy Mom's Day. Thank you. Yeah. What'd you do? What'd you do? We didn't do anything. (laughs) Hey, that sounds like awesome. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That sounds like awesomeness. Yeah. I mean, Mother's Day's sweet. It's fine. It's not like changing my life or anything, you know? You're a great mom. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I've seen you with your kids. You're very good. Yeah, sweet kids. They wrote me sweet notes and... I do appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. oh, hold on. My youngest, who's six, she really likes to celebrate. And so all day long, it was Mother's Day this <laughs> and Mother's Day that. So that was fun. Awesome. Yeah. She's sweet. How about y'all? We were out of town uh, visiting some family in Tennessee. My nephew graduated from high school, so we ran down to be a part of that. So we usually buy the flowers that we're going to pot in the outside pots mm-hmm. uh, for Mom's Day and spend the day planting. Sherry really likes that. And we yeah. didn't get that done yet, so that has to get done. Cause yeah, that, you would have, that wouldn't have been fun yesterday. It was no. ugly. Oh, it yeah. was a little rainy yeah. and dreary yeah. and Yeah, my cold. garden is huge. Came back. It needs some tending, yeah. so i got to get back out there. We wanted to do that, too, for Mother's Day, and it just wasn't in the cards yeah. yesterday. Yeah. How about you, Alex? I After the service, I got a chance to call my mom. So we, we talked on the phone for like an hour, and that was great. Uh, grew up in a small rural town in Missouri. There's one really fancy restaurant and they just uh, opened up the opportunity on their website to buy electronic gift cards that you can send through email. Oh, cool. So that's, I <laughs> sent that to your mom. Oh, that, to my mom. that was thoughtful. Yeah. Cool. And then uh, yeah. for my wife, uh, all she wanted from the kids is just hanging out and we were going to go on a walk and that got canceled because yeah. of the rain. So we just hung out around the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was one of those days. Uh, how, so how was, uh, how, I, I was up at Poplar, mm-hmm. Alex, obviously at Poplar. You guys were here. Oh, well, you were I out wasn't. of town. Wait, it was just I, me. Was it just you? <laughs> Simone, <laughs> give, give us the report. How did, how did it go It here? was great. There was a huge baby dedication. Yeah. That was really fun. The pics. John was sending me pics in real time. Oh, it, yeah. It's like 10,000 kids up it on the platform. It was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. But Amy Coyle did amazing. And it was, it's fun. Um, the whole like response and... And mm-hmm. participating in as a family, yeah, right. and then you know realizing that you're cheering these families on and remembering when you're like, of course, my kids were like, "Were we dedicated?" They ask every time. I'm like, "Yes, you were not at this church, but you were dedicated." Uh, it was it was yeah. really powerful, hmm. and um, yeah, John's message was great, and I don't know, it was just a great Sunday. <laughs> Did y'all have fun up at Poplar? Did it go well? Yeah, it was a great yeah, time. I thought it was a good service. Mm-hmm. It was fun. Um, how did you People sense the, loud. How did you sense the spirit at work? That's always the question we ask one another on Wednesday in our sermon prep meeting. We had a, a couple of really neat moments after the service. There's somebody that we've been praying for for the last couple of months um, that finally put their faith in Jesus after the sermon. And so that was something that we were celebrating after the Praise service. God. And you told yeah. me this morning, now we're talking baptism for this person. And yeah, that's we're so going to get that set up and everything. It's, it's been a really neat discipleship journey uh, with him so far, and I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. Um, we also had somebody in, in the service that uh, has been kind of filling that role of provider for their family, but it's been really difficult. And uh, just sitting in Isaiah 32 and, and, you know, 
thinking about what the king offers. He walked away from that sermon yesterday really encouraged. And so we had a conversation yesterday, and he was in tears. And oh, he's, that's awesome. He's able to do his job a little bit better this week. That was cool. something he said. That's great. Sounds like the spirit was, was working. Yeah. Yeah, it was moving. It's awesome. Let's, uh, let's get into some questions. Let's attack. Here we go. First one. And this is for, so John Vanderveld is now on sabbatical. Yeah, John's but, away. Yeah. So we'll do our best to answer the... He preached yesterday. Yeah. It was his last mic drop, right? Yeah. And then he walked out. So... This question is his for sermon his content. sermon. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, first up, census plenior uh, mm-hmm. seems complicated. Census plenior is a Latin phrase. Seems complicated to me and makes me feel overwhelmed. In reading the Bible, couldn't someone easily misinterpret the Bible and claim that every verse has a census plenior reality? Okay, let's talk about what census plenior means. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, in John's sermon, he emphasized the the prophetic nature that uh, talks about future events, and there could be near future that mm-hmm. the prophet's addressing, far future. And then what John described as a really far future. And so it's just, it's almost as if the prophet is addressing, you know, layers to an onion. Mm. Um, and um, so sensius plenior is Latin for, uh, it means fuller meaning. So it could be a meaning embedded in the words of scripture that the prophet, even in his prophesying, might not have realized, understood. So anytime you have multiple layers of meaning, and there's a question later on, how much would the prophet have known, basically, about the fullness of his meaning? But there's a reality here that as the prophet is moved by the Spirit, the Spirit's at work in the prophet in ways that the prophet may not realize. And and that's true for all of us, even today. God is working in our lives in ways that we recognize and praise God, thankfully, in ways that we don't recognize, totally. which is simply an admission that we're finite. We're not going to realize all that God is doing. And so on behalf of my children, my wife, my family, my community, I hope that the Lord's at work in me in ways I don't realize I, because I'm finite. Well, yeah, I mean, can't all of us here today look back mm-hmm. at a particular season and now, knowing what we know now, go, oh. Isn't God good? <laughs> okay. Right, right, right. I see sure. what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Sneaky. So in regard to this question, then yep. the concern is if there's you know fuller meaning and that it can be interpreted into future events, that kind of opens the door for danger. Like it could be it feels squishy. Yes. So we, and we need to be careful. So the, the exact question is, couldn't someone misinterpret the Bible? And the answer is yes, all the time. Yes, mm-hmm. and someone can most definitely misinterpret the Bible, and that happens all the time. So that's why. And so it the person is saying, I feel overwhelmed. Well, my, my response there is, that's why we're called to study thoroughly scripture, not superficially. Um, and so there are verses that we could certainly pluck out of context and misuse, and that's most often what happens. I'll give you an example in a minute. But we're called to be uh, disciplined on our study. So 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul writes to Pastor Timothy. So it's the Apostle Paul writing to the pastor of the Church of Ephesus. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker, what's it mean to be approved? A worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So Mm. Pastor Timothy, work really hard, be really diligent, what he's saying, to handle God's word well. Um, 
not misinterpret it, but interpret it accurately. So just because we're overwhelmed, and I can understand that, um, there, it's, um, it's a challenge to understand Scripture in its ancient context and, and discern and uh, what it's meaning, the grammar, and, and, um, and so that takes work. And, and frankly, our flesh always ends up for working really hard. Uh, so first, number one, uh, work hard. Let's study. Let's not be overwhelmed. Let's dig in. Let's learn. Let's be learners. Secondly, I'd say the best interpreter of the Bible is the Bible itself, mm-hmm. which means that a claim to fuller meaning, if someone's going to pluck something out of context, says, well, this has a fuller meaning, and it really means X and Y and Z, there must actually be a fuller meaning that's indicated in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have in Isaiah 32. John was saying, in, and you said it as well, you just didn't use a Latin phrase for it. No. <laughs> you, you said that the referent here to this king, this righteous king that's coming, is ultimately Christ. And you even quoted Hebrews mm-hmm. uh, to, to proof text that. So we have the passage in Hebrews that you quoted acting as an interpreter for Isaiah 32, helping us understand. Mm-hmm. So we have Scripture interpreting Scripture, and that's what we really want here. There's a coherence to Scripture that mitigates against abuse. Mm-hmm. All right, And I'll give you an example. And it doesn't prevent abuse, but what it does is, because Scripture is the best interpreter for Scripture, over time, those who diligently study it will be less prone to mishandling it, abusing it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's what, in graduate school, they called the hermeneutical spiral, the interpretive uh, spiral. So picture in your mind's eye a funnel. And over many years of work, clarity comes and the truth of Scripture falls out the bottom of the funnel. So you're going around and around and around. And and the beautiful truths of Scripture, as they work through the community of God's people over time, fall out the bottom. They become more and more clear. So I'll give you an example of the misuse of Scripture. Ephesians 6.5, slaves, obey your earthly masters. Well, in the South of America, in, in the American South, um, slave owners misused that mm-hmm. and said that's proof that God uh, affirms what we're doing in mm-hmm. uh, holding people in bondage. Well, that was disabused over time. That misuse of Scripture was undermined over time as people said, no, you're taking Ephesians 6 out of context. He's not affirming the stealing of humans, which is categorically condemned in the Old Testament, kidnapping people, is contrary to the Old Testament law. It was condemned in Scripture, which is exactly what was going on in the slave trade of the 16th, 17th, and 18th century, was this kidnapping and holding humans against their will, which was different, by and large, what was going on in the first century. So, my it wasn't po- the same type of slavery. No, mm-hmm. it was different types of slavery. So, and it was the Quakers, by and large, in the 18th century, 17th and 18th century, American Quakers, um, a, a Protestant denomination um, that 
fought in America against slavery and brought that to the consciousness of the American citizenry, saying that, no, we're mishandling God's word, that all humans are made in the image of God, and, and what we're doing is, is against God's work. So, yes, people can abuse Scripture. Uh, scripture is, has an internal coherence that mitigates against its abuse, given enough, enough time in the work of the Spirit and a submission to the work of the Spirit, in that we study to show ourselves approved. Hope. Can I give another example yeah. that's just coming to mind right now? So you've got those people um, that come forward and say, I am convinced that Jesus is coming back on this date. And they go to Revelation and they pull out all these passages and they say, this, there's fuller meaning here. This applies to what's happening yep. globally. Therefore, I'm confident that Jesus is coming back on this date. But as you said, you know, there's internal coherence that mitigates against abuse. We have verses that very clearly say, you know, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. And that verse kind of helps prevent the abuse of books like Revelation and things yeah. like that. Absolutely. Am I thinking along this? It's, yeah, yeah. yeah your, your example is actually better than mine. It, Jesus himself said in the book of Acts chapter 1, uh, no, one no one knows the time. Mm -hmm. And so we've got Christ saying that it's foolish to try and identify times. I've actually seen billboards where it said Christ is coming back and it gave a date. Yeah. Um, so. What are those billboards doing now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I think just on a day-to-day, -day, well, first of all, I, I think don't let, don't let all of what we're talking about scare you away from engaging with scripture, right? Like I could, I can picture, cause I can picture myself, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, hearing this conversation going, well, then I'm just going to stay away from it. Cause the water's too deep. It's just too deep. I'm going to drown. And I, I want to believe this beautiful piece of scripture here, but what if there's another piece of scripture that I don't know about that totally negates this. And now right. I'm bleeding, you know, like I feel stuck. I feel, okay, I'm just, it's going to move me to inaction. Mm -hmm. uh, how would you encourage someone who's... Well, the swimming pool analogy is excellent. So we, we need to start in the shallow end of the pool. So the, the beauty is that if you're, if you're not ready for the deep end of the pool, and John said in his message, this is, since it's plenty or something you learn in graduate school, Yeah, you know, it's like a 400 level, 300 level, 500 level graduate school of phraseology and concept, just so is the hermeneutical spiral. And so the good news is we can tackle those things, but you don't have to know those phrases to enjoy the word of God. You, you can enjoy the water in the shallow end. But there's, there is more joy in learning to swim. We all know that. Summer's coming, and kids all want to go to the deep end. They all want to go off the diving board. There's more joy. There's more freedom. There's more fun. So study reaps rewards and benefits. So don't shy away from the study. But if you're in the shallow in the pool, don't denigrate yourself either. Yeah. Just let's, let's learn to swim. And I think on a, on a practical level, when you're, when you're just talking to people about the Bible, uh, choose your opening statement very carefully. Yeah, right? Don't lead like, with plenty of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just mean like, you know, um, I, try to be, I try to be careful about how I lead into something I'm about to say about the Bible. If, if I'm not 100% sure, I may say something like, it seems to me, or... You qualify it. Yeah, sure. or my best understanding of that That's, is Those are this. excellent. Um, that leaves it open for discussion. I'm, you know, and then there are other parts of the Bible where it's just like, well, yeah, I'm just going to say that because that's... Mm -hmm. No, it's yeah. essential. Yeah, right. right. It's not a data... Right. The, the deity of Christ is essential. We're not debating that. Yeah, Christ claimed to be God and... Right, right, right. right. So There's also a level of um, 
trusting those who are teaching you. And so you sit under teaching like yesterday from John and, and this was enlightening to me. I was like, this is so exciting to see that the, the Bible is layered mm-hmm. and that, that it's ever, you know, um, teaching me something new. Like I, you know, you never fully grasp, I don't think the whole, the whole Bible. And I think of it similar to, you know, you go to a doctor to help you, the, the professional. We defer to people all yeah, the time. Yeah, who's trained and the expert in the room and, and you rely on your doctor to give you helpful information that you can then take and go home and do something with. And it's, mm. I don't know, it's not all that different. Like if you're sitting under the, the teaching authority of someone that you don't trust or doesn't have the training or doesn't have the um, experience that maybe you would, you're hoping for, then, you know, you that's maybe more concerning, but. And you bring up a beautiful point. You know, anything that's said from the platform is thoroughly scrutinized by the elders of the church. Mm. No one speaking mm-hmm. from the platform mm-hmm. is a, uh, a rogue cannon that gets to fire off the shots that he or she thinks need to be. Mm. Everything is reviewed uh, and we get feedback all the time. Like uh, that seemed like understatement. Or that seemed sure. like overstatement mm-hmm. and neither serve the church well. Yeah. Like you're, those moments when you're on the platform and you're saying something and then the, your phone in your back pocket <laughs> starts, starts buzzing buzz. and you're like, oh, what did I say? Oh. <laughs> Going back to what you said with the swimming pool illustration, like I remember growing up, our hometown swimming pool would slope down mm-hmm. and as a kid, I was always nervous about going into the deep end of the pool, but I trusted my mom and my mom was the one that helped kind of work mm-hmm. me progressively into stuff. the deeper end mm-hmm. of the pool. And mm-hmm. that's that's kind of what you're calling for, is find the people yeah. that are in those positions of authority that you can trust that will kind of lead you deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I Even now, I, can, I find myself at, at times getting slightly discouraged when I'm like reading a commentary or something and, and this person's just like, oh, and this this lines up with this and this lines up with this. And we know this because here, and I'm thinking, how does this guy know this? Is he, (laughs) did he, did he get it from somewhere else and he's repeating it or did he study the Bible by himself and has made all of these connections? Like where does he get that kind of time? How does he make his money? Like, you know, I can go down this rabbit hole of like, how is this possible? But man, um, but man, I, I still, am really encouraged more than anything when I spend time in God's word. Mm-hmm. You, you know, like Matt and I checked in this morning really quickly about how was worship, blah, blah, blah. We always do that. And he said he had recommended to one person who's growing in their faith uh, by leaps and bounds, Hey, get a study Bible. And we've said that often from the podcast, uh, the New Living Translation Study Bible, uh, the New International Version of the Study Bible, the English Standard Version of the Study Bible. Um, all are great. It costs you a hundred bucks. And he, he asked, where could I get that? And I was yeah. like, well, Amazon. He was kind of like, eh, okay. Uh, what bookstore? Like, I know you can get it obviously at Christian bookstores. Do they have study Bibles at like? Oh yeah. At Barnes and Noble. Yeah. And yes. like, oh sure. Stuff like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Another resource while we're throwing them out there that I've used, it's like a very like um, low level. It's not going to change your life, but it's helpful is called the got questions website. Are you guys familiar with that? Yeah, I am. Yeah. I think that's a really helpful, like if you just have a quick question and you just want to measure it against something. Got questions is interesting. I, I have gone there before. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, um, what they're off, they, so they have enlisted people to write various articles. And so they have a breadth of opinion 
Um, so it's, they don't represent, God Questions doesn't represent simply one school of thought. Mm -hmm. So buyer beware. When you go there, you, yeah. you may get a charismatic perspective. You may get a cessationist perspective. You may get a reform perspective on a particular question. You may get Ar Arminian perspective on another, and I'm just throwing out words that, um. You have to look up when you go to God right, Questions. Right. So you just, you need to be careful. Um, it is a good website, um. I feel like it's just given me in the past when I've had a question, just a place to start. A framework. Yep. Yeah, yep. a framework. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not solving all the biblical no. mysteries in my life, but which, by the way, I don't know that I have many, but <laughs> Hey, church family, we have an all-church meeting. We call it our spring gathering. It takes place next Sunday evening. This Sunday evening, May 21st at 4 o'clock, we'll gather at 501 Hillside Campus. So if you're a member... Uh, we'd love for you to be a part of that. The elders who govern the, the church, serve the church through governance, will be voted on. So, And you'll get an update on various uh, vision and programmatic uh, goals. So we'd love for you to be a part. It's May 21st, 4 o'clock, right here at 501 Hillside. Join us. All right, let's, uh, let's go to the next one. How should modern governments reflect the reign of the King of Righteousness? I get that America isn't a chosen nation, but what is it? But what is to be the goal of a Christian civil servant? Mm. I like this question. Mm -hmm. I think the goal of a Christian civil servant, and we've had several in our congregation that have led in the public sector. Um, we have a couple right now, and that are leading. I, I think the goal of the civil servant is to cultivate a lot of what is the goal of the king of righteousness. Um, for example, the, um, the peace that is noted in Isaiah 32, a direct reflection of the king of righteousness, the confidence that's available in the community because of the king of righteousness has come. Those are things that civil servants following the king of righteousness, Jesus Christ, can, can hopefully produce. Uh, so in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, we're told to pray for those in leadership, and we're told why we should pray for those in leadership. This is the, the public sector leadership, so that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and righteousness. That's to be, in other words, that's the outcome of Christian civil service, peaceful, quiet lives in godliness. And so that's beautiful. That's the goal of governance. If, if I were running for public office and someone said, what's your goal? Man, I, I want the people on Ranch Road, which is where I live, to live, be able to live peaceful, quiet lives and cultivate godliness. And that's actually language in Isaiah 32. Right, exactly. Well. It's, it's as, almost as if Paul had read Isaiah. My people will live in peaceful <laughs> dwelling places and secure homes and undisturbed places of rest. That's Isaiah 32, verse 18. Yeah. So I think it's pretty straightforward. Now, Politics is complicated. I get it. Not mm -hmm. everybody is going to agree on what it means, uh, what's a valuable lifestyle. So civil service is just that. It's, it's to be a service, and it's really difficult. Uh, and I know it's full of compromise uh, as we serve not simply Christians, not simply evangelical Christians, but uh, our community at DuPage County is made up of people with diverse worldviews. So it's, it's not an easy work by any stretch. I always like to think of civil authorities are like referees on an athletic field. That is to say, they're a vital part of the game, but the game's not actually about them. 
and I, I actually, we're about to enter another presidential uh, season in which we're going to elect a president in 2024. As we enter that, I get the sense that the referees are making it about themselves mm-hmm. instead of it being about the, the participants in the game, that is the citizens. Mm-hmm. And so I like civil authorities. The best civil authority is a person that you rarely hear from or see, but the game is going really smooth. Mm-hmm. Talking about like the game going smooth, one of the amazing opportunities of a, a, a you know civil Christian civil servant is you have the opportunity to directly impact people, and I just go back to you know love God, love others, and that's that's an amazing opportunity that you have as a civil servant to um, bring forth that love and take care of people. And in Isaiah 32, what we see in verses five through eight, some of the foolish leaders that Isaiah talks about, this is what they weren't doing. Mm-hmm. They were not loving the people underneath them. There were the poor were getting neglected. There were hungry people. Yeah. In fact, our next question gets into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, sorry, I, I had a, something I wanted to bring up <clears throat> along the lines of that, this question. Um, about a Christian being a civil servant, like the, what I wrestle with is um, when that person should be deciding policy based on their faith and what they're reading in the Bible. Obviously, if you were a politician, if you were a lawmaker, you would you'd be using the Bible to inform what you think is best for society, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's not a Christian nation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not, you know, a theocracy, right? So there are intersections of those things that are gonna they're gonna come into play where it's like, well, um, the majority of the country wants it this way, it doesn't really affect Christians a whole lot, other than they don't want to see X, Y, Z or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, it's I'm I'm reading it in the Bible as like, okay, that's clearly something you shouldn't do. But all of these people over here don't believe the Bible, so why would I legislate or govern? my religious beliefs upon a people that don't believe the same things that I believe. When it's outside of the scope of someone's getting hurt, someone's getting, you know what I mean? Obviously, you could make the case that someone is getting spiritually damaged. Right. That somebody is moving further away from the light of Christ. Yeah. but, I, you know, we, we've actually had interesting, inter- I don't want to throw you on the bus under anything oh. in particular, but <laughs> we've don't. had interesting conversations where I thought, I figured you would go one way with your response and you went a totally different direction. I was like, wow, okay. Um, but that, that's the, the tension for me when Certainly. thinking about being a, a lawmaker. Yeah. Yeah. To be a part of the judiciary, we have um, uh, folks in attendance that have been a part of the elected judiciary in our county and um, and then um, city leadership, the governance at the city level and the village level um, and, and at the county level. And the intersection of faith and politics is, is really difficult. Yeah, because um, I totally can understand somebody saying, I don't want to elect you. you you're just going to open your Bible and make judgments. And yeah. I don't believe the Bible, so why would I yeah, elect Yeah, I don't you? share a Christian worldview, so right. why do I want you ruling our world? Right. Right. Yeah, and, and I think that that can be worked through. In fact, I, I think it would be a mistake for Christians to abdicate um, leadership. I, man, I, I praise right. God for our police officers that are Christian and our civil servants, those that are leading and actually caring for our community, 
teachers, yeah. principals, superintendents. Man, I... Right, because we, we believe that the Holy Spirit dwells in them, that they yes. have God in them. And that they have directing. Solomonic wisdom, that God actually gives yeah. wisdom needed mm-hmm. to, to govern, yeah. um, which is not to say it's easy. Mm. All right. Uh, so the next one, uh, right in line with, uh, yeah, with this question. Isaiah 32, verses 5 and 6 talk about foolish leaders whose hearts are bent towards evil. Over the past 12 years, I've felt politically <laughs> homeless, observing bent hearts in both parties. How should I biblically approach voting when I feel like this is the case? You shouldn't bother voting. <laughs> Tongue firmly planted in cheek. No, I'm joking there. Um, there's a book that I read that was really helpful kind of in regard to this uh, question. It was called The Liturgy of Politics by Caitlin Shess. One of the things that she says in the book is that we need to unlearn our bent towards a private religion and public politics and see our participation in political life as a reflection of our very public faith. What she's saying here is that uh, those two things should not be separate. Um, they should be in, you know, woven together. And I think that serves as a foundation for why voting is important. Uh, Isaiah 32, five through eight, what we see in those verses is that the politics of these foolish leaders did have religious consequences. Again, those two things are connected. We see, like we talked about earlier, the poor and needy were abused and neglected because of who was politically in charge. And so that's why voting is so important. As Americans, we have this this amazing opportunity to shape politically who is in leadership and in turn influence the religious direction of the country. Voting is a blessing that many believers did not have uh, throughout history. So I don't I don't think the answer is not voting. I don't either. Yeah, I know. I was no. joking. I know. Uh, so in terms of how to vote, because I, I don't think it would be wise to get into who to vote for, but like in terms of how to vote, uh, the two things that I think are important, and I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on this. Uh, number one, uh, sit in scripture. Um, make sure you know the Bible well, as we've been, the language we've been using today, wade into that pool. Um, one of the illustrations that I've heard before that served me really well was uh, treat political parties like an all-you-can-eat buffet. You know, pick and choose well, you know, what aligns with Scripture. Applaud what is supported biblically within a party. And then, you know, in both parties, reject uh, what runs contrary to the Bible. But in order to applaud and reject, you have to know first and foremost what's in the Bible. So sit with Scripture. Um, and then the other thing I would say is uh, sit with other believers who think and vote differently than you. Uh, listen to their perspective and why they vote the way they vote. Uh, get other uh, opinions. There's there's power in just listening to different perspectives, um, different genders, different races. Um, those are the two things that I would I would suggest doing. And as you sit with people and as you sit in Scripture, um, vote where you feel like God is leading you. What do you guys think? What, would you agree with that? Yeah. And I just want to say this question is for it, Al. Alex talked a little bit about politics. Yeah, we got into it. Yeah, yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought you did a good job yeah. addressing uh, the tensions that are now forming for our nation again as we gear up for a presidential election. Nobody threw any tomatoes at me. I was <laughs> thankful for that. Yeah. I love the call to constructive conversations with people that disagree with us. And, and we've lost uh, the ability to have civil discourse yeah. mm-hmm. um, and need to regain that. We can as a nation regain that. We can as a church uh, regain that. Um, in my family, uh, there's a vast array of opinions on uh, the political issues, and and I, I you know, we're working hard to have those discussions. And so, do you, do you have 
constructive political uh, conversations well, in your family? Yeah. So I said I was out of town over the weekend. I was in Tennessee to see uh, my nephew graduates. And so my brother came up from Texas and my sis is there in Tennessee. It was her son. And my mom was there in Tennessee and, and me. So all the kids were together again. And we had some interesting political conversations. And I recounted uh, how I had not served the family well uh, three Thanksgivings ago. <laughs> You've told the story yeah. before, yeah. <laughs> and, and my brother, who hadn't heard the story sitting across the table from me, uh, he wanted to know, well, how would you have that differently now? And what are your, what are your thoughts? Although, you know, you, I blew up a Thanksgiving dinner with, kind of, with a comment. He said, how would you handle that differently? What are your thoughts on the issue that you, that you dropped a bomb on? And, and so I thought it was really good, but... Um, um, so yeah, we're trying hard to have those conversations. My mother is a Southern Democrat. Uh, and so there's a, she, she went door to door for Barack Obama. Um, she closed down her house in Texas and went on the road door to door, New Mexico, and then Wisconsin. And she, so it, when she was in her seventies at her on her own dime to politic for Barack Obama, get the vote, vote out for Barack Obama. So we, she and I see things very differently on some issues and we're in accord on some issues. Yeah. And how about you, Simone? How does, what does politic conversation yeah. look like in your family? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's not what I was going to answer. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and my family. Yeah. No, I think I have, I think we can, there's a set there. I know the people I can talk to about this and then I know the people to avoid the conversation with. And that just takes self-awareness, right? You're not going to have anything productive with some people. And then there's other people that I have family members who we probably see things very differently, but I do enjoy learning from them. They're intelligent and those are constructive. Conversations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not often. But what I was going to comment on is, um, I don't know if I would use the word politically homeless, but I do resonate in some regard to what this person's saying and, and how they're feeling about not knowing who to vote for or how to align their values with what you hear you know, in debates and, and articles written about different politicians. And something that's been, this is going to sound super simplistic to all of you, but something that's been really encouraging to me lately over the last several years is getting involved in local politics mm. and realizing that there's so much more uh, like you can obtain so much more you can um see impact the, yeah impact and the fruit of your own work and i have had many conversations with different politicians particularly around the work that i do um that i actually don't even know if they're republicans or democrats because mm. everybody is the Human trafficking is bipartisan. Sure. You know, everybody yeah. wants to see that come to an end. Yeah. So I can have really interesting and thoughtful conversations with people who I don't know where they fall. Politi- I mean, I go home and Google it, of course, but because I'm interested. But um, and I've just I have found that to be very fulfilling in terms of empowering me and informing me on my own voting and um, things that actually can take. I, voting for a pr- in a presidential election, and especially in the state of Illinois. You re- we all recognize that we don't really have that loud of a voice. You know, it's, it's right. by and large predicted. Yes. And so then what happens with the president who's elected and our vote in that, I, you know, it's distant. It would be fun to live in a state that was like, you know. Would it be fun? You d- where know, you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. I, well, yeah. not, okay, maybe not fun is that the right word. But I know it, what you mean, though. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, all I'm trying to say is that for me – kind of scratching this itch in some way has really taken place through a very local, um, that's great. 
approach. That's a great yeah. call. Just yeah, to be absolutely. involved locally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ultimately where Isaiah 32 lands, it is a chapter about hope in the midst of foolish leadership. It's saying when you find yourself in a time where there are foolish leaders, remind yourself that there is a king who sits on the throne. And so in local elections, in national elections, if things don't go your way, despair should not be the reaction of a Christian. Because yeah. you know that throughout history, there have been way worse leaders than the ones that are going to get elected next year. Yeah. And the church still thrives and the gospel still spreads. Yeah. He's yeah. on the throne. That's good. I feel like I've grown in that area a lot. Like, especially yeah. in my 40s, I'm just like, it, it matters, but it doesn't. I have hope. Mm-hmm. You know, but in my 30s, I was like... Mm-hmm the world is going to end, you know, like if so-and-so gets voted for or doesn't or whatever. Now it's just kind of like, yeah, we've mm-hmm. seen the cycle. Yeah, It'll switch back at some point. Then it'll switch back. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not worth losing friendships over. I wanted to say one last word on it to our church. Um, I think it would be particularly helpful going into 2024 with uh, a dropping language that sounds like this. You can't be a Christian if you vote X, right? That is not true. It is only true in the context of believing in Christ or not believing in Christ, period. That's it. That's the only qualification. That's the only, that's the only thing that you can say that about where it's true. Mm-hmm. Where if you don't believe, if you don't accept Christ as the Messiah, then you're not, you won't be saved. Like that's true. But voting for somebody or shopping somewhere or not shopping somewhere does not make you a Christian. Stop saying it. It's not productive. And it it makes you really, look like fool. It makes you look foolish. Well, and it shuts down conversation. And it yeah. it does that as it, well. It makes it the person who makes that type of declaration is sending a message that they're not open to hearing right. the other side. Right. And and maybe they're not open to hearing the other side. And if they're not, they're not. But you can ha- you can go down that road and start it totally different. Like Man, I, I'm having trouble I'm seeing. Ha- you're right. Like, why you would vote you vote for? for that person when they are campaigning on X, Y, and Z? Yeah. That's a good, productive way to have a conversation that's probably not going to end well or go places right, that you right. want it to go. But at least it's going to, like, not, at least you're starting it out mm. <laughs> with yeah. somewhat reasonably. Yeah. I, that, and that's what I'm saying sit with people that think differently than you because the, you can't be a Christian if the, the root of that is. Right. Um, kind of closed thinking that you're not opening up to other perspectives. Yeah. Okay. I'll, get uh, off, I'll, I'll, get I'll say one more box. thing. We have nothing to fear from the truth. And we discern the truth oftentimes, most often in community. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll... That's good. Uh, okay. Next one. Do you think Isaiah knew he was prophesying to multiple audiences across thousands of years? This leads to a bigger question about divine inspiration for the Bible's authors. What did that look like? So I would say we're not sure what Isaiah knew. I guess maybe that's obvious. We're not sure what Isaiah knew regarding the length or nature of his prophecy, whether it was near future, far future, or really far future. Frankly, we're not exactly sure how the inspiration of Scripture worked. And by that I mean, how did the sovereignty of God and and the will of man interplay to produce Scripture? So the sovereignty of God is God's overseeing the project— of, of the prophecy and its writing. How do you oversee that? And then what part or pr- portion of Scripture reflects the personality of the authors? Yeah, the more I think about that, my head just hurts. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like so how to- Peter, at one point in his letters, talks about how difficult it is to understand the Apostle Paul's writings. Hmm. 
So we have one author in Scripture saying that another author of Scripture is hard to understand. Well, do we blame Paul for that, or do we blame God for that, or do we say that, well, Peter, you were just particularly dense? Mm -hmm. So we need, to, we need to understand that we're not exactly clear about the dance that took place or the cooperation that took place between God and the authors of Scripture. We do know from Hebrews that Hebrews 1, long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. So we know that God, Scripture affirms that God was actively speaking, has actively spoken through the prophets. Uh, and then in Second uh, Peter, we read, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding it, in, or from human initiative. So it was God-initiated, and, and it was God-revealed. No, Peter says, those prophets were moved. And the word moved is vague. How were they moved? Was it dictation? Was it trance-like? Did the, did the authors of Scripture, did they enter a trance and God physically moved the stylus on the paper, writing the exact words? Well, we don't, we don't hold to a dictation theory of inspiration here. We, there was some interplay between the person doing the writing, the speaker, in this case Isaiah the prophet, and, uh, and God. God's enlivening that, the Holy Spirit working through that. And that mystery, that mystery, I've heard that parallel. It's interesting to think about. How is Jesus Christ both fully God yeah. and fully man? Well, that's, that union is hard to describe. Well, in the same way, the union between the divine inspiration and the human participation in the writing of Scripture is hard to describe. Go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say, I think there are some people that have an easier time, and there are some people that have a harder time sitting in that mystery. Hmm. They want, they, they, that tension is hard for them. They don't want, uh, they want it to be solved and completely understandable. And that's where I go back to verses like, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. And there has to be a point when you put up your hands and say, I see what scripture says. I see that there's a tension here. And God, I, I, I trust that you know what you're doing here. Yep. Yeah, it's interesting because we like the idea of God working through us. Mm -hmm. We all do. And we don't doubt that God consciously, there's times where we, we physically say, all right, God, I'm going to step into this and I want to be a blessing to somebody and I'm going to try to be a blessing in these ways, for me, it's most often preaching or teaching in settings of one to a few. But then we expect that God will, un uh, unbeknownst to us, in an unconscious, at an unconscious level, work through us as well. So we talk about God working through us all the time. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a mystery how the Spirit impacts us and moves us. But we like that notion. And it's, it's testified to in Scripture. All right. Let's go to the last one. Isaiah 32 seemed to talk about others ruling alongside the king that is described in Isaiah 32. Is that us? How can we and Jesus rule at the same time? This is why I'm thankful for a podcast like this, because when preaching, I, especially through this series in Isaiah, there's so many things that just for the sake of time, like you don't have time to talk about. And that was one of the things that I noticed this week, I, that, you know, 
John used the language on Sunday at GEBC of uh, near future, far future, really, really far future for these individual kings. But there's also this, this idea in, in verses one through two that there's a group of people that are going to be reigning. And so uh, I, I just didn't get a chance to hit on this in the message. Um, one of the things that we see in, in verses like Genesis one twenty eight is that when God created Adam and Eve, they had leadership. They were given dominion over the garden. And then when we go to the end of the Bible, Revelation, we see that uh, when Jesus comes back again, uh, there's going to be leadership bestowed to us as well. Uh, Revelation 5, verses 9 through 10, it says, uh, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, t- language, and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. They will reign. And so it, it, it seems to be communicating in verses like Isaiah and Genesis and Revelation that uh, at, in the near, near, or the very, very far future, there's going to be some sort of leadership bestowed upon us as well. Uh, Randy Alcorn says uh, in his book, Heaven, every citizen of the new heaven and new earth will have an appointed role, one that fulfills him or her and contributes to the whole no one will fall through the cracks in God's kingdom. No one will feel worthless or insignificant. And uh, one of the reasons why I love this subject is because I was, I think, falsely taught growing up that, you know, the new heavens and new earth, it's just going to be uh, singing all the time and I've got wings and it's it just kind of boring. But it sounds like there's going to be roles that we're going to play, which makes me excited. I don't know what it's going to be. What do you guys think? Yeah, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. just um, how engaged. We will make more contribution in heaven because we'll be fully in the Lord's presence and mm-hmm. unencumbered by sin. We'll be, make greater contribution and be more fully alive at that time than we would ever be here on earth. Mm-hmm. It'll be a glorious reality. First Corinthians 6.3 says that we'll judge angels, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. So there'll be an active role for many of us in the judgment of of heavenly beings, which is a weighty concept. Yeah. I go back to Narnia too. You know, you've got uh, in the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, uh, you've got the four kids and they're each kings and queens. They have a role that they're playing in Narnia, but Aslan is the one that's over that kind of, I feel like that's what it's going to look like a little bit. All right. Can end on Narnia. <laughs> end on Narnia. Okay. I figured you, uh, Alex, you would talk about the uh, what John talked about about uh, the far, far future and, and the future, and that you would just say like the prequels and the original series uh, and the latest series. No, uh-huh. Little Star Wars reference. I am a Star Wars. All right, well, that's all the questions we have for you today. But if you have any further questions, comments, or concerns, don't hesitate. Text the Next Level Podcast at 630-474-6164. Our podcast is dedicated to answering listener questions on two levels, answering specific questions about last Sunday's sermon, and also just general questions regarding broader topics within the Christian faith. We love God and believe that Scripture is a primary means for our getting to know Him. And our hope is that this podcast extends the learning opportunity for all who want to know God better, strengthening not only your faith, but my faith and our faith together. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in to the next level. Boom! Prophecy.